Hey, this is Ian Olusav. So, stop me if you heard this. Yaakov and Moshe are walking down the street and they pass a church. There's a sign outside the church. It says, convert to Christianity, $10. Yaakov and Moshe look at each other. They say, $10? You're going to give me $10 to convert to Christianity? That's ridiculous. Yaakov says, oh, you know what? I'll go in. I'll check it out. Moshe says, eh, whatever. So Moshe's sitting outside. He's waiting. He waits five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. A half hour later, Yaakov comes out. Moshe says, Yaakov, what, what happened? What took you so long? Did you convert to Christianity? Did you get the $10? Yaakov says, money. That's all you people ever think about. It's a funny joke. I think it's a funny joke. But this is a philosophy podcast, so we want to find out what there is to say about jokes philosophically. Well, what are jokes? Would make something funny in general? The philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein famously claimed that you could write a good work of philosophy consisting entirely of jokes. At least part of what he was saying is that jokes can teach us interesting or important things in the same way that a good work of philosophy can. But what do jokes teach us exactly, and how? We can also ask ethical questions about jokes. I mean, the conventional wisdom is that I get to tell the Yaakov and Moshe joke because I'm Jewish, but it would be fishy somehow if an anti-Semite told it. But is the conventional wisdom right? Okay. On today's episode, our own Sophie Murphy sits down with Noel Carroll, Distinguished Professor of Philosophy at the CUNY Graduate Center, to tackle these questions and, yes, to tell some jokes. It's good. It's funny. You'll love it. So stick around, because you are listening to The Owl. Welcome to The Owl, the Brooklyn Public Philosophers podcast series with myself, Sophie Murphy. I am very happy today to have Noel Carroll um, with us uh, to have a discussion on jokes. Yes, on jokes. Um, and I was doing a bit of revision for, for the topic, of course, and... Uh, one of the jokes that came up in Noel's um, reading was, well, the Irish aren't that dumb, but they're pretty dumb nonetheless. Um, yeah, and it was, it was interesting to, to read that and then have to relay this uh, via Irish accent uh, in podcast form. So, Noel, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I should say, uh, in defense of myself, that, <laughs> I'm, uh, that I am of Irish descent, so I'm allowed to say and make jokes about, about the Irish. Uh, I'm not allowed to make jokes, uh, on the other hand, uh, about the Mongolians. Okay, so this is going to be a feature of the discussion, and we're going to explain why um, why Noel has a license to, to say these things. Um, but that that's all for, for a later stage in the discussion. So before we get into the nitty-gritty about the definition of jokes and why things are funny, um, we're going to just like allow Noel to talk a little bit how he got into the subject. Well, I suppose what got me into it was my father. My father was a liquor salesman, and uh, in the old days, uh, one of the ways that jokes traveled uh, around uh, was uh, they traveled through bars, 
And uh, if you were in the business of, of selling liquor to bars and liquor stores, you would basically be taking the joke that you heard in the last bar to tell in the new bar. And that was the way that jokes, jokes circulated. And it was very uh, helpful if you were trying to sell the bar to entertain them with, with jokes. Uh, you'd be greeted with a big smile because your arrival signaled <coughs> the arrival of a new and fresh joke, something to laugh at. So, insofar as I uh, really uh, tried to emulate my father, uh, I began my uh, early storytelling career as, as a joke teller. Unfortunately, I didn't always understand the jokes that I was telling. Well, uh, I, I just wanted to uh, make people laugh. And on, on one occasion, I told a, a very uh, off-color joke uh, that I didn't understand in the presence of my lace curtain Irish grandmother. Uh, and uh, after that, I wasn't allowed to uh, uh, travel <laughs> with my father uh, <laughs> as he did his, his daily rounds. Someone put a muzzle on that boy. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I, I still don't understand the joke I told then, but but it was uh, uh, salacious. <laughs> oh my goodness! So, um, I mean, surely you had some sort of interpretation of this specific joke, and it was relayed in such a way that warranted a different interpretation from the from the listeners. No, no, it was a dirty joke, and I just didn't understand it. <laughs> uh, it, it, it was off off my radar, but I I observed that when uh, my father told it, everybody laughed. So I just imitated him. Well, um, I suppose the thing about jokes is, I mean, it's only sort of one category of all that is humorous. Yes, of course. I mean, there's the kind of sketch comedy that they do on Saturday Night Live. There's uh, slapstick comedy in the uh, in the fashion of, of a Buster Keaton. Uh, and uh, cartoons with captions, uh, caricatures. Um, there's a whole range of, of, of what falls under the broad notion of, of comedy. And then humor is maybe even a little bit broader than comedy because uh, comedy is actually uh, in invented humor. Uh, it's, uh, it's created, it's invented. But there's also the humor that we see in daily life. So if you walk down the street and you see a, a stretched limousine parked next to a Morris Minor, that might strike you as funny because it's uh, in incongruous or, you know, uh, you might see somebody with a really outrageous outfit on the street and that might make you giggle. But that's not what I would call comedy. That's found humor. So uh, the category of humor is very broad. A category of comedy is a very large subset of it. Uh, but as you say, it's an enormous range of material. Yes, so is it possible to like establish a theory of all that is funny? Well, uh, I, I think it's worth trying. Um, I've tried to do it in my book, uh, Humor, A Very Short Introduction. Now, it might be the case that uh, you're almost bound to fail, but every time you make an attempt, every time you try and ap approximate 
an account, you make a kind of advance, you learn a little more. And even when you present a, a, a theory and, it, and it's shown to be wrong, you've learned something else about the territory. For example, if you make a theory and it excludes something, uh, then, you, then you learn uh, that there's a, an, another neighborhood to be covered. Uh, you learn more. Or if you uh, present the theory and it is shown to cover some things that uh, are, are obviously not humorous or not funny, uh, well, then you've also learned something else about the, the boundary of the, the region you're studying. So I think that even if it's a, a, a quixotic quest, building the theories, uh, examining them, criticizing, refuting them, adapting them, um, that all increases our understanding of the field. So um, it it's has refining. A, it's a refining process, essentially. It's a refining program, uh, and it's also um, the most powerful heuristic exercise we have uh, to, uh, so to speak, understand uh, the boundaries of a specific conceptual terrain. It may also be enabling in the creation of humor. I mean, probably every comedian that you talk to has his or her own theory about what's funny. And um, that theory that uh, she has um, actually um, is instrumental. It, it enables her to sh sharpen uh, what she's going to emphasize, what comic levers she's going to choose uh, to base her comedy on. Um, for example, uh, as as she surveys her everyday life for material, uh, she'll uh, begin to um, focus on, on, on the variables that she's uh, used to uh, in terms of her creation of uh, her comedy. For example, her husband's ab absent-mindedness. Uh, on the other hand, the other aspect of this is less in terms of um, the performance of uh, comedy um, and more in terms of our understanding of what what's funny uh, so that I for example now try to uh, uh, argue for a version of the incongruity theory of humor I think of humor as a perceived incongruity um, not because I think that in the long run that may be the last word on the subject but because I've discovered that it's so very useful in uh, zeroing in on what the levers of comic amusement are in such things as slapstick comedy for example or uh, sight gags or um, sketch comedy or stand-up comedy um, so again I, I think that the the theory has a terrific heuristic device uh, basically, I would say, look, when you're uh, confronted with a certain specimen of, of, of humor, let's say jokes, um, focus in on the incongruities, and that's your best initial shot at trying to figure out why, why the specimen in question is funny. So uh, with these uh, theories in, in terms of their heuristic value, I'd like to say, try the theory, you'll like it. Well, I suppose that, that kind of warrants the question. And um, are we at risk of maybe even deflating the mystery of humor by, by examining it through a critical lens? Um, 
Well, look, we we uh, do lots of research into sex and love, and it doesn't seem to me that it's <laughs> destroyed the pleasure of sex and love. No, that, that's a good response. curious about previous people who have done research on this and have they failed uh, you say that it's a building process and a refining process so can you first of all talk to me about any other theories and why maybe they haven't succeeded well I think that uh, as as long as in the Western tradition as long as we've had philosophy there's been uh, there have been theories of uh, humor or often uh, under the guise of theories of laughter, Plato had had a view. Um, he wasn't really in favor of it. He was a little afraid that if his uh, philosopher kings in, enjoyed uh, t- telling jokes and indulging humor too much, they would uh, lose all sobriety, and that would be the last thing that you would want. Uh, Aristotle's second book of the Poetics was a book on comedy. Uh, the suspicion is that like Plato, um, he, he thought that humor was really uh, the, re- the result of kind of uh, uh, superiority. That is, uh, Aristotle thought that um, the perfect objects of uh, comedy, and here he was thinking of theater, um, were, were people who um, uh, were less than us. Uh, Plato also thought that the subject of, of humor were basically people who violated the the Socratic adage of know thyself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he thought the objects of comedy were people who thought they were smarter, prettier, stronger, uh, more uh, competent than they actually were, the Miles Gloriosus type figure. The earlier... Uh, uh, Theories of comedy uh, roughly uh, uh, fall into the category that's called superiority. Uh, And uh, probably Hobbes is the most famous uh, of the superiority theorists of humor, uh, probably because his is is the shortest, and you can learn (laughs) it uh, very quickly. The wittiest, I might say. Yeah, the the most compressed. Uh, He basically thought that the source of uh, laughter were uh, um, people whose behavior uh, was inferior to your own, or actually yourself, but at an earlier moment. So if you uh, get up in the morning and you're very uh, groggy and in, uh, if you're a male and if in, instead of reaching for the toothpaste you, uh, you, you reach for the tube of shaving cream uh, and, and brush your teeth with that, then you laugh at yourself because um, you're, you're more dim-witted in the past than you are in the present. But also, as we come into the uh, our own times, uh, uh, um, by which I mean modern Europe, uh, almost every m- modern philosopher of note has has had something to say uh, about about humor. Um, Kant, Hegel, Schopenhauer, for example, all had had views of, of what humor uh, amounts to. In in the grand old days, uh, if you were a philosopher and your area of expertise was everything, uh, that that included uh, a required note on humor. 
Okay, because you speak of Freud's theory of amusement. Uh, Freud's theory of amusement is uh, is what's called a, a, a release or relief theory. Um, of course, Freud in general had uh, an, a notion that uh, we uh, have a, a great many um, repressed desires, um, emotions, passions, etc. Uh, and he thought that, in, in a manner of speaking, that humor or amusement or comic amusement was a function of um, releasing uh, those repressed desires and emotions, including specifically sexual desires. Um, and uh, he thought that this worked because of the interplay of two different kinds of, of wit or humor. Uh, what he would think of as harmless wit, which is um, nonsense wit. So think of a joke like this. Um, what do you call it when you dynamite your kitchen? Napoleon blown apart. <laughs> now, that's just pure nonsense and wordplay. That's one category he had. Uh, the other category he had is of more tendentious humor, uh, humor that actually has, has sense. So you have humor that's nonsense, like the harmless wit, and then you have new humor that has sense, uh, humor that has content, usually content that's hostile uh, or obscene or, or sexually or oriented. Um, and uh, his view was that these two are most often functionally related. Uh, to understand that, let me quickly say something that probably a lot of people are already familiar with. Uh, Freud had a uh, tripartite theory of the mind. So you have the ego or the I, uh, and the ego or I has to negotiate on the one hand between the id, which is repressed material, sexual material, desires, uh, anger, hostility, etc., uh, and the superego or the censor, um, whose uh, function it is to block uh, the indulging of those uh, libidinal forces that uh, are represented by the id. So, uh, given this this setup, uh, his theory of humor um, runs somewhere like this: the harmless wit, uh, the silliness, the nonsense, uh, operates as a mask that either uh, hides or beguiles the superego, so it it lets its repressive grip on on the ego relax. Uh, but uh, then the joke also has sense or content, uh, which is uh, tendentious. Uh, the perfect example is in a sexual joke. So the, the nonsense dimension of, of the sexual joke uh, leads the superego to relax its repressive grip uh, just so that suddenly this forbidden material can uh, ride in. Uh, and uh, uh, once uh, that happens, this, this process of relief uh, allows us to indulge at least momentarily uh, so the forbidden, the forbidden uh, or hidden wishes. So do you endorse Freud's theory or do you see it as, as flawed? Uh, I, I think of Freud's theory as, as flawed. I mean, there are the, the grand problems with 
the Freudian theory and uh, those will be problems for the theory of humor insofar as uh, it presupposes it. I mean, there's the problem of the tripartite theory of the mind. It's like you've got a lot of little people running yeah. around inside of you. Of course, you have to endorse like his theory like en masse before you can actually like critique the right. other elements of it, the more refined theories that are more right. localized to humor. Then he ha also has this hydraulic theory of the mind that there's this pent-up energy and and the uh, the superego is kind of like the uh, in charge of a lock inside of a canal and uh, when the um, harmless humor uh, distracts this lock master uh, the, the lock goes up and the um, libidinal energy flows through and, and god i wouldn't uh, want to be a boat in my canal <laughs> 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 no. but i i have some uh, some other, uh, apart from those big problems i have some problems um with it on its own terms for example um think think of of watching a comedy concert by someone like amy schumer the superego seems kind of dim-witted uh, after all, after she tells her first dirty joke, why does the superego fall for the second, the third, third the fourth, yeah. and the does fifth? It does it relock every time? Does yes. It it's kind of like a, a, the dumbest straight man in a comedy routine. Uh, this, it, it just keeps getting tricked and tricked and tricked. Also, uh, since the superego is you know, part of the mind, what what was it doing when the ego bought the ticket to the Amy Schumer concept? I mean, didn't didn't uh, didn't uh, it have some idea you of what, what was going on? on so I mean, one problem I have, uh, a very practical one, is that the superego seems pretty dim-witted. Uh, <laughs> In and of itself, it's a bit of an idiot. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> uh, so I, I I I don't I don't see how how um, especially since you know a, a, a usual situation uh, telling jokes is I tell a joke and then you want to tell a joke and then somebody else says oh I have you heard this one. And and it goes around and around and around, um, and it doesn't seem to me, uh, in that case, uh, that the the superego could constantly be tricked, drink after drink. brings us on to like what constitutes a joke like how do we define a joke it well, seems to me that it's like it's some sort, some sort of puzzle puzzlement that's going on in some sort of absurdist realm and some other world right but that wouldn't get us the difference between jokes and say uh, sketch comedy i think the first thing to say about a joke is the most obvious thing that it's a form of, of verbal discourse as as opposed to say a, a sight gag uh, and also once you uh, look at that the next question is well what what are the genres and there are two major uh, genres of of uh, jokes one is narrative uh, a story uh, with a punchline uh, and then the other is a riddle or a question which is followed by a punchline so a narrative example would be uh, two uh, there are two nuns uh, from Dublin and they've read a lot about uh, <laughs> 
New Sounds York. Sounds like my school. <laughs> <laughs> They've read a lot about about New York, and they're a little puzzled because they come across this notion of hot dogs, and and they they wonder do do the Americans eat dogs? Well. Um, they get to go to uh, New York. They uh, go to a convent in Brooklyn, and after they settle in, they see a hot dog stand across the street. And so they go and they, they buy two hot dogs. And the first nun opens up her hot dog and looks at it and then says to the other nun, what part did you get? LAUGHTER <laughs> Yeah. So that's an example of a narrative joke. Well, whereas uh, um, a, a riddle, of course, would be like the famous moron jokes. Why did the moron stay, that, stay up all night? He was studying for his blood test. So in both those genres, you see that you end with what we call a punchline. Yes. And as you say, the punchline is something that's very puzzling. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to make any kind of sense at all until it dawns on you, you make a quick interpretation that, that makes the punchline or explains why the punchline fits with the setup, the narrative or the riddle. Uh, and and um, you come up with that interpretation. Uh, but the thing is that you also realize there's something absurd about the interpretation. Uh, maybe it's uh, that the, uh, the, the characters in the, in the joke, the morons and the nuns, are, are, are suffering under an incredible uh, misunderstanding. It's, it's that recognition of the error in the interpretation, that the interpretation causes you to posit some kind of absurdity that makes you laugh. So kind of embedded into the definition of a joke is that it leaves the listener to figure out a puzzle. So it's constantly interpretive. It is. It, it requires an interpretation. And of course, going back to what I said earlier, the interpretations then also require some kind of knowledge. Knowledge, yes. yes. You have to know what a blood test is in yes. order to get the moron joke. And you have to know what a hot dog is. And, and you have to know what a penis is in order to... To understand to get the... Yeah. yeah. So... Like, as we've just said there, it requires you to have a certain degree of knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, so why is it the case then that the, the Joker often gets the reputation for being, for being silly when in fact you need to have quite a wide range of knowledge in order to be creative with your joking? I'd say that the Joker is actually quite an intelligent person and the listener in order to get the joke would have to be, would require some degree of intelligence. So why do they get this reputation for being Silly. Well, as I uh, pointed out, the interpretation uh, that's required to get the joke itself has to do with the acceptance of, of um, um, something absurd or uh, at least uh, incongruous. It requires that um, you, you posit uh, and accept the possibility of, in those jokes that I just cited, of someone's making those errors. Look, here's, here's, here's a, a joke to illustrate what I'm getting at. Uh, a man uh, is on the telephone uh, with his friend who's in a car, and uh, the, the uh, man on the other end of the uh, telephone conversation says, um, Look, Joe, I just heard on the radio that there's some nut driving the wrong way on the highway. And his friend says, yeah, there are hundreds of them. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so that requires that you posit that there's someone so dumb that they could be driving on the highway uh, in the wrong direction and, and not realize that they're doing something wrong. Uh, in other words, that's a kind of that's a kind of moron joke. But but really, um, the uh, the uh, presumption that there's someone that stupid uh, is uh, uh, something that sounds like it, it it really flies against all the laws of probability. So you're asking the listener uh, in order to get the joke, to make the right interpretation, to presuppose something that's crazy. So uh, it's true that the uh, listener and the teller have to uh, uh, have certain cognitive abilities, but they're operating uh, uh, with uh, silly presumptions. And that's why they get the reputation for being silly. Because actually some, some humor, of course, involves, uh, uh, this is very technical, but in some humor, um, what's required is something illogical. So he, uh, a man goes into, a very heavy set man goes into a pizza parlor and he orders a pizza and uh, the man behind the counter says, well, do you want to cut in four pieces or eight pieces? And he says, four pieces, I'm on a diet. So that's, that's a, a, a logical mistake, a mathematical mistake. I think that reveals something very deep about um, why we value jokes. In the ordinary course of affairs, we, we use a lot of shortcuts in our thinking. We use a lot of heuristics. Uh, that's what's, what stereotypes are about. Uh, these are, are ways that are very quickly coming to certain judgments or uh, assessments. And usually these heuristics uh, work a lot of the time, but they contrast with rational deliberative thinking. Uh, they're fast, but they're not 100% accurate. But we rely on them anyway. Uh, the joke I just told about the heavy man in the pizzeria uh, is uh, the use of uh, a heuristic. Usually, it turns out, when you have less of a thing, uh, uh, when you have f f four of something rather than eight of something, y you will make a savings in calories. Exactly, yeah. But not in this case. Yes. So it's a, it's a situation where the heuristic misfires. And a great deal of humor is about uh, exploiting the point at which heuristics misfire. There's a, a Chinese witticism. A man encounters a sage, and the man is walking in front of his horse. And the sage says to him, why don't you get on the horse and ride it? And the man says, six legs are better than four. Well, uh, of course, it's usually true that six legs are better than four, but <laughs> not in this case. Not in this case, yeah. So the heuristic misfires. Uh, and a lot of humor is about revealing how our heuristics can misfire by getting us, when we're confronted with the puzzle punchline, uh, what, getting us to actually... Uh, come up with the interpretation, but the interpretation that requires uh, presupposing an error.
So are we laughing at, at him being simply an imbecile or are we laughing at the fact that this phenomenon has happened? Like what are we I, actually laughing at? I think that we're, we're actually to a certain extent la laughing at ourselves. Uh, so instead of there being a, a, an, a, an, an superiority theory of humor, uh, I think to a certain extent we should think of it as an inferiority uh, theory of humor, uh, that uh, we're kind of uh, laughing at uh, uh, an indispensable part of our human condition, uh, that we do rely on these heuristics, uh, even though they can misfire. And the, the possibility of exploiting, let's say, the gaps or the holes and the heuristics almost compelling the listener to the wrong interpretation of the puzzling punchline is what a great deal of humor comes to. So, okay, there was, there, there, there's one last topic that I think that we should really cover because in light of, of, the, of the current political climate, I think that this is, a, is one that people are, are curious to, to hear about. Um, the ethics behind, you know, joke, sexist jokes, ethics behind racist jokes, you, you know, the usual suspects. Do they perpetuate stereotypes or do they, do they relieve us? Well, I think the first thing to notice about, let's let's first go to racist uh, stereotypes. Um, the jokes uh, that are told by certain groups, uh, Jewish people, Irish people, uh, Southerners Us, in America. we're here wearing our Irish flags like yeah. having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Jewish people, blacks. The, jo the, the, the jokes that they tell are very often reliant upon the same stereotypes that the people who are hostile to them tell. So, uh, for example, um, there's a, a, a southern comedian called uh, Jeff Foxworthy, and he tells these jokes about rednecks, and mostly to audiences that self-identify as rednecks. And his jokes go something like, like this. If you've been married three times and you have the same in-laws, you might be a redneck. Um, or do you know why it's so hard to uh, solve crimes in the South? Uh, because there are no dental records and all the DNA is the same. Now, uh, if, if let's call the person a redneck, if a redneck tells that to another redneck, just as a, an Irishman tells um, a, a, a joke about uh, people, Irish people being drunk to another Irish person, they're willing to laugh at it. But the same stereotypes, when told by outs used by outsiders, um, are are taken to be offensive. offensive yeah. So I think what that says is a great deal t depends upon. Uh, the intention with which the joke is told. There are there are African American jokes uh, that African Americans tell about uh, African American sexuality. Uh, that uh, if you listen to you know uh, black black comedians uh, 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 employ the same notion of uh, voracious sexual appetites. Um, it's kind of like a form of. Um 
collective or subcultural um, self-deprecation. Right. Well, uh, for example, Jews tell Jewish jokes about how uh, uh, canny Jews are with money, whereas that plays on the stereotype um, that uh, uh, is found to be offensive, you know, protocols of Zion offensive, uh, if, if uh, told by someone outside the circle. So the, the point is that it, it's not the, the, the stereotype itself, it's it's the use the joke teller is 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 exploiting, so that people like Amy Schumer and uh, Sarah Silverman uh, tell jokes about female sexuality, and uh, Amy Schumer, you know, will talk about uh, sluts, uh, and that that will be uh, uh, humorous in her presentation. But uh, if Andrew Dice Clay tells the same joke or refers to women as sluts that's going to raise a lot of hackles maybe so, within the <coughs> female group though but upon the wider group males will still find it funny whether well i think they, they under the table then they're giggling they'll still find it funny this is a fascinating element though well i think they'll find it funny uh, they might find it funny for the same reason a feminist does, or they might find it funny for another sort of reason. The, basically, the humor in the Amy Schumer is based on the fact that it, it violates certain stereotypes of what, what female uh, behavior should be. Um, you know, uh, you know, females are made of sugar and spice and everything nice and uh, uh, in terms of the stereotypes. And uh, um, they, they don't really desire sex uh, that's that's uh, the in, in the interest of predatory males they don't drink a lot they don't eat a lot so what Amy Schumer does is you know she's very careless in her pursuit of sex and um, voracious and uh, you know she's constantly overeating and she's drinking too much so she's really subverting uh, this this notion of what it is to be ladylike do you think that's like drip feeding into society and actually breaking down the stereotype then well by actually exploiting it she's like breaking it down or subverting it but still exploiting the whole notion of it well she's satirizing it yes yeah. I think that's 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 true uh, that that's is 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 making fun of it she's laying claim to an equal playing field between uh, between men and women but she's also uh, she's subverting this 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 stereotype, and um, and there will come a time when that almost is, that isn't funny anymore when it becomes the norm. But it's through people like her, agents like her, that actually enable that to become the norm in the first place. That's a very interesting point, and I suppose it's somewhat uh, of an empirical issue. But one thing that's worth noticing is that. That things uh, live on. Uh, some stereotypes live on as conventions for certain genres, uh, even after they uh, they they still have uh, um, a social life. Uh, so that uh, we, you know, d despite the fact that. Uh, uh, the world is becoming, uh, or, or at least the, the in the West, in, in uh, United States, in the Atlantic region, uh, um, people are becoming more and more secular. Um, they go to church less. They don't believe uh, the 
the, the tenets of Christ, Christianity so much, we'll, we'll still be laughing at jokes about when so-and-so comes before St. Peter at the end of time because we now have a genre, we have a convention uh, that actually has that has, has has lived yeah. on, uh, and and so you and I can still mobilize. I mean, for example, uh, there's a line to the po uh, to the podium uh, at the gates of heaven, uh, and it's a long line. And a doctor comes uh, up to Saint Peter. He breaks the queue, comes up to Saint Peter, and says, "You know, I should be uh, allowed in ahead of these other people. I'm a doctor." or I was a doctor, and St. Peter says, I'm sorry, everybody's the same here. You've got to go back in line. Well, about five minutes later, a big limousine pulls up, and a guy in a black suit gets out with one of those bags that doctors have, and he kind of tips his hat at St. Peter, and St. Peter lets him through the gate. So the other doctor comes back and says, hey, I, I'm a doctor too. You let him in. Why don't you let me in? He said, that's not a doctor. That's, that's God. He just thinks he's a doctor. <laughs> so we, we can still laugh at that yeah, joke, yeah. Uh, even if we're atheists. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, uh, in terms of the question you're raising, uh, these stereotypes can, can live on as the presuppositions of a certain genre, uh, even as they disappear in society. Well, um, no, um, I'm afraid that's actually all we have time for. Um, but yes, thank you so much. For, for Would you have any further things you'd like to add? Well, uh, I have a book called Humor, A Very Short Introduction. It's not very expensive, and it doesn't take too long to read. No, uh, no, really. <laughs> <laughs> and it's got a lot of jokes in it. Hey, Ian again. I like the idea that jokes like call attention to cases where our shared heuristics or statistical rules of thumb break down. It's a sort of recipe for joke writing there if you want to use it that way. So there you go. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Please, please leave a review, comment. It helps get the word out. Also, we're always taking submissions for our Ask a Philosopher episodes. If you have a question that you want some philosophers to discuss on the program, you can send it to us completely anonymously. Find the link at the Brooklyn Public Philosophers website. All right. Stay wise, Brooklyn. <laughs>